And I have three simple questions on this form that really help me, you know, again, filter out the applicants. So the first thing is if they didn't fill out this application, then obviously they're not the type of painter I'm looking for. And if they did, I'll know what type of person they are simply by just reading the responses to some of these questions. Boom. It's your host, Corey Phillip of the Contractor Momentum Podcast. One of the cool things today's guest, Tanner Mullen of Premium Painting in Ocala, Florida, shares with us are the three questions he uses to filter candidates and reveal a bit about what they're like under the hood. Tune in as we dive into this and other business topics. Of course, if you have any questions for Tanner or myself about anything we cover or don't cover, head on over to the group, The Contractor Momentum Lounge, and drop a new post. Now let's jump into it. Tanner, welcome to The Contractor Momentum Podcast. Thank you, man. Happy to be here. Awesome, dude. You know, I know I've seen you do a lot of cool things in the painting world over the last few years. I know you've got your own business. I know you've published some awesome stuff on sales, marketing, and all that. But, you know, I'm a marketing guy too here. And one thing I find is when two marketing guys start off talking about marketing, well, the conversation only goes to more marketing. So I wanted to talk about something a little bit different with you. But for all of our listeners out there, why don't you give them the two-minute overview of premium painting, you know, where your business is at now, how you got started in it, all that good stuff that we all like to hear about. Yeah, absolutely. So premium painting, we're here in Ocala, Florida. We have nine, actually 10, as of yesterday, amazing employees that help this machine run the way it is. We only do interior and exterior painting, so no cabinets, no epoxy, really just focusing exactly on what it is that we're good at. Really just started doing exteriors only when I started my business just because you know we were very inexperienced. So when I first started my business, I actually had no clue how to paint the outside of a house the professional way. So, you know, I actually through knowledge of, you know, looking up things online and, you know, kind of just piecing together information from some of the things that my employees knew at the time, we figured out how to paint the outside of a house. So, you know, humble beginnings starting off that way, <laughs> kind of transitioned into where we are now with two crews. We work in bigger teams and, you know, I would position ourselves. I would say that we're best of the best here in our local town. One thing you kind of said there that stood out is bigger teams. We'll come back to that in a second. How long ago did you start the business and how did you get into it knowing nothing, having no experience there? Yeah, so I've been in the business now. This is the start of our fourth year in business and got into the business as, you know, when I was younger, I painted with my dad. He was really like a journeyman, kind of worked on his own and would tag me along to do some prep work. And you know, I was 12 or 13 at the time. And from that point to the time I actually started my business, it was about 10 or 11 years. So my idea of what I thought I knew and actually uh, putting that knowledge to the test was completely, you know, it was completely different. So Yeah, I got that same slap in the face too when I started GCA in 2012. You know, I graduated college and through college, it's all like, yeah, you know, you pay a rate and you get employees. And well, when you get into the real world, it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, a little bit different. <laughs> so definitely a learning curve for sure. So keep on going with that. Where'd you go from there? Yeah, so from there, you know, it was kind of just, mastering the exterior you know down here in florida the exterior market is insane it's just you know i don't know you probably have a lot of listeners up north but down here we have this stuff called stucco i hope it hasn't made its way up there yet <laughs> it needs to be continuously maintenance it's phenomenal for painting companies because it just you know when they when they apply it you know a lot of the new construction contractors they don't put a really good primer so and actually I've been running into people buying new homes, telling me that the contractor said, yeah, you're going to have to have that repainted next year. So that's what I focused on. 
Yeah, pretty crazy. Buy a brand new house and the contractor tells you that. So, you know, that was our focus in the beginning. Eventually we jumped into interiors and part of the reason why it took me so long was because you could notice the cut lines on interiors a little bit more than you can on the outside. There's not yeah. much room for error. And I'm all about, you know, being careful, you know, and I didn't want to uh, you know, get ahead of the game. And there was enough exterior work to keep me busy in the beginning. So now we do both. I mean, we did talk about bigger teams. You know, we work in teams of four or five and try to, you know, give the best possible experience, you know, with uh, a lot of guys working together. Yeah. So how is that with those bigger teams of four to five? I typically think of a team and mind you, we do some exterior painting, too, in my own company. Actually, we do quite a bit of it. Most people might not realize this because the name of my company has the word aluminum in it. But we actually do over $2 million a year worth of painting. So we've got a couple paint crews out there rolling around. But we keep all our paint crews at typically two guys, one lead, one that has experience. And then we have apprentices, essentially, who are kind of in our trainee pool with them. So we'll send three guys out there. But in my experience, I find that having really any more than that on a job site doesn't really make it any more efficient. So what are you guys doing differently, you know, getting four or five people on a job? And how's that working for you? So when, when you think about it, you, you think that, you know, well, what's, what's there to do? And for me, the vision in my company initially was to really create a, like, an experience for the customer. And, you know, the difference between just having two guys that are busy all day, you know, especially outside, you know, grinding it out with a deadline to get it done. We'll start with the experience with the, with the homeowner. And the experience is, you know, it's more like a party. And, you know, I think it's a little bit weird to say it, but we really want to create that. We want that experience. We want someone to be able to, you know, talk with the homeowner while they're there. We want somebody to be able to address little concerns. We want somebody to be able to pick up the trash throughout the day. We want somebody to be able to run and go get paint and not have to sacrifice, you know, us losing out on finishing the job. So the efficiency is there in terms of, you know, there is enough things, especially for painting the outside of the house for a team to do especially a team of five, it really just comes down to what is the company scheduling within that week to make it efficient? Because I don't look at it on a job to job basis. I look at it on a week to week basis. How many jobs did we get done? What was the total amount of these jobs combined? And was it efficient to staff this many people for this many jobs? And time after time, the answer has always been yes. And not only from a profitable standpoint, but I would say that one of the biggest things is that it eliminates burnout completely. If you have guys, especially us working in Florida, you know this, you know, it's hot. And yeah. when you have a bigger team, everyone can kind of work at an average pace throughout the entire week instead of going 100% Monday and Tuesday and then declining dramatically Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and giving a poor experience, especially if we start a job on a Friday, everyone's been breaking their butt all week. We don't want to give that client a bad experience just because everyone's tired. So that's been another really good benefit of working with bigger teams. Hmm. So will they, I mean, I'm guessing you guys must break up sides of the house. Like what, you know, if you have five people on a job, you can have two people working on one side and then two on the other. Are you doing that? Or are they all pretty much in the same area? It really just depends on what's being done. Now you're an aluminum guy, but we do come behind you and paint that aluminum when it's time. So we'll do, we'll paint soffits, gutter, spatia, and there's a lot of things that go into it. So, I mean, you think that the normal painting process is trenching the perimeter, putting plastic on all the windows, taping lines. You know, that prep work can be done by the whole team together. And yes, you know, you'll have two guys in the back. You have one on each side, two work in the front. 
you know, however you want to slice it, but really, you know, everyone works together on the prep. And then if we're doing the soffits and the fascia, we like to work top to bottom, we'll work that way down and then we'll paint, you know, you know, from there. But on the inside, the inside is where you find the, the greatest benefit of having a bigger team. Really? Now that's going against everything I was thinking because you've got everybody in a more condensed area. Right. So when you get a bunch of people on a job site, all metaphorically tripping over themselves, that's when you start running into problems. You know, you think so. But again, my focus is not so much how inconvenient it is for my employees. I love my employees, but it's not about them. It's about the experience we give to the customer. And, you know, think about it this way. If you, you know, you're a homeowner, you know that if you were to get all the ceilings, all the walls, all the trim and all the doors done in your house and the painting company that came to you said, yeah, so we have two guys that can do it. It's going to take them probably about six days to do everything from start to finish. Well, you have to adjust your entire lifestyle for six days as opposed to me coming in there and saying, yeah, well, we can do it from top to bottom in three days. So that is a huge benefit to the homeowner. And when people hear that, they, you know, almost it's almost a no brainer to hire us just for that fact alone. Got it. So you're using it as a selling point as, as well. One hundred percent. Now, you've got five people, you know, at most, uh, you know, or say four to five people on one job site. How do you typically structure compensation? Are you doing any performance-based compensation? I mean, what does the range look like? Is everybody on the job site getting paid the same thing, et cetera? So we have different roles in, in the company. You know, the, the main role, of course, is the project manager. Then we have what I like to call a master technician. This is these two people in the crew should know everything they need to do, you know, in order to make sure that the quality of the project is 100%. From there, the following three roles could still be somebody who has a wide range of paint knowledge. From there, you know, you would then uh, bring on apprentices or helpers to take on the, you know, the lower level sorts of tasks that you would find in a paint job. So in terms of compensation, it really, it really just ranges, you know, there's painters, you know, up North that get anywhere from, you know, 18 to 29 here in Florida, the rates are, you know, right around the $20 range. So that's where you probably find the highest, you know, specifically, but also up North, you know, the, the rates for the actual painting projects themselves are much higher. So it kind of, it kind of balances out for sure. But what about, you know, in terms of from the highest paid per person on the job site to the lowest paid, you know, are you going for your project manager and you, you said you have a project manager and what was the other key role there? A master technician? Master technician, like this is somebody that can spray, that can cut, that can roll, but also knows every aspect of the project. So the range is, you know, my entry level, you know, employee, someone with absolutely zero experience is starting at $12 an hour, you know, and then from there right around the $20 range for the highest level position within the crew. And then we haven't yet made the, the transition to have, in my, my company specifically, someone full-time project managing. So once that role does come up, it would be probably more of a salary position. And really the only reason I would do that is if we expand to a third crew of four or five. That would then warrant, you know, that would be able to, we'd be able to justify that. A cost. dedicated project manager. But for now... For now, you're assigning somebody, you know, in the field, so to say, the role of being project manager. Right. So in the team of five, that project manager is working with a crew, but is leaving that project to go, you know, do certain tasks throughout the day, go check on the other project, make sure everything's, you know, QA'd. So that project manager is not really getting, well, he is hands-on, but he can still leave the projects. 
Absolutely. He can leave the projects and, you know, if he needs to jump in with the other crew, that's, that's what role he's going to, he's going to do. So in our company, we use that role to kind of make sure that we're staying on schedule and we're able to complete 25, you know, plus jobs a month. So within a Monday through Friday workday, no weekends. So we try gotcha. to make sure that let me ask you this, to get to the employee count that you have, how many employees have you had to burn through to find this core group that you've got now that, you know, really does things well? Yeah, great question. Not many, you know, really. Wow, not many. I was not expecting that answer. I mean, we don't, we don't even want to know my employee number. (laughs) (laughs) Like that number must be a thousand. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, probably over eight years. It's got to be close to a thousand. At this point, you know, I'm very close with my employees, man. People that I bring on, they they buy into the vision. Everyone knows that, you know, when I when I hire them, there's high expectations. Anyone that's ever left my company has fired themselves. I've never had to fire anyone. They've they've done things and made decisions that have led to that end result. And I try my best to be a employee focused company because my motto is if you take care of the guys working for you, by default, they'll take care of your customers. Absolutely. I 110 percent agree with that. It sounds like you're not getting many bad apples. If you're saying you haven't had to churn through many employees to get to the core that you got, it sounds like you're filtering out the bad apples before you actually pull them onto payroll. So tell me more about that, man. What are you doing there? Yeah, so it's all about a filtering out process. I mean, you know, you think about it this way. If you if you could pull in applicants from all over the place, Facebook, Indeed, Craigslist, you know, wherever you can pull applicants from, that is your job is to put out that ad. You know, it starts with the ad. You know, I took a course a while back. I learned this process from somebody else. And it's just been such a wonderful process to implement in my business. And it's the most important, you know, out of anything you do in your business, focus on that hiring process. So the first step is, you know, acquiring and attracting that talent. And how do you attract somebody to buy an ad or how do you attract somebody to purchase from your business? Well, you know, you put out there exactly what it is that you're looking for or what it is that you offer. And I think instead of putting out an ad that says, you know, looking for a painter must have a valid driver's license, as opposed to, hey, we're looking for somebody who's enthusiastic, who really enjoys painting, that would be willing to service high-end clientele that wants to work for a company that, you know, treats customers, you know, has such an amazing outlook on customer service and all that stuff. If you're interested, click this link here and fill out this form. And then from there, you know, right off the bat, you're filtering out bad applicants who look at an ad like that and say, oh my God, that looks too much for me. I just want to go to work and make money and go home. But you're attracting people who are interested in that sort of atmosphere. So right off the bat, without even me having to do anything, the ad itself is starting that filtering out process. That makes sense. Now, where are you running these ads at? Like what's your main hiring platform or the main platform for recruiting? So Facebook's huge. If you haven't tried to find people to work for your business through Facebook, you are missing out. I mean, you're doing a great job. We'll have to come back to that. Yeah, that's huge. Every time I do it, I get 25 plus applicants. It's insane. Indeed, same thing. I mean, Indeed is great. I think I pay 25 bucks and get 10 or 15 applicants. But Craigslist is where I've been getting my best employees from Craigslist. One of them, yeah. I didn't know people still use Craigslist anymore. I thought Facebook Marketplace came through and knocked them out of business. Hey man, when it comes to finding jobs and you know they switched over to a paid model where you have to pay that 20 bucks for your posting now as you know back then it was free, but that $20 what it does is again it filters out companies that think paying for 
you know, to put out an ad is, is pointless. So you're, you're really ranked highly in that search and you will get some applicants. So Facebook, Indeed, Craigslist are my big three that I jump to. Facebook, Indeed, Craigslist. I have a lot of good luck with Indeed. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about Facebook for recruiting. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. Let's keep going through here, through your hiring and filtering process. What's the yeah. next part? You, you know, you're running these ads. You covered what's in the ads and how that speaks to the people you want to attract. They apply or in some way, you know, respond to the ad. Then what happens? Yeah, so they go through this form. The form is designed to do two things. One really just gives me an idea of what their qualifications are in terms of the job site you know, requirements. Do you know how to paint, essentially? That's what it comes down to. What is your experience? How many houses have you painted? That sort of thing. So you're not asking them for a resume? You're just sending them to a form? Totally not. If you're a contractor looking for you know, painters or whoever it is that you're looking for to send you a professional resume, you're wasting your time. It's just Yeah, not. I agree with you on that. So I create essentially a resume for them to fill out for me. And that, that's, a, that's another reason, you know. So from there, the second part of it is kind of figuring out what type of person am I getting? And I have three simple questions on this form that really help me, you know, again, filter out the applicants. So the first thing is if they didn't fill out this application, then obviously they're not the type of painter I'm looking for. And if they did... I'll know what type of person they are simply by just reading the responses to some of these questions. And then from there, that lets me know what direction I need to go. So what are these questions? Let's hear it. Yeah. So the first question really is identifying, you know, are you a creative person? Do you do more than just, you know, go home and or go to the bar and go home? You know, so <laughs> one of these questions is, you know, where, you know, life's all about learning. It's a learning journey. What have you learned in your journey? And in that question, you might get somebody that says, oh, well, my, my grandmother's AC broke the other day and I looked it up on YouTube how to fix it and I fixed it for, her. you know, right off the bat, me just explaining that to you, but man, I, I'd hire that person, <laughs> you know, just based off of that one answer. I mean, that's somebody that's a, that you would consider a good person. And then you have people that say, you know, I learned not to trust people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Seriously. And you would think like common sense would be like, that's not what a potential employer wants to hear. <laughs> tell you something. You would think so. But they are that candid in these questions. That is like a really easy way for me to say, cool. Yeah, I'm not going for that guy. Or, you know, it's just that that's that one question there. The next question is, it really just says that we're a motivated company and we enjoy having a team atmosphere. How do you feel that you would fit into this team atmosphere? And from there, of course, you know, the same person that said he would fix his grandmom's AC or he already did would say, you know, I'm a motivated individual. I love to work. I love what the end result of a project looks like, especially, you know, working with a team. I, I really enjoy working with a team. Very simple. And the guy who said he has trust issues says something about how he's, you know, he's a great painter and he, you know, can get the job done on time, you know, just like that. So, the questions really just do one of two things. Number one, they kind of give you some insight on the type of person you're getting. But most importantly, I look at it like, what type of person am I setting my, my customer to interact with? And I want it to be the guy who helps his grandma with the AC. Yeah, that's huge. You want to get the right people out there that are, well, going to put up a good brand image. And that's really hard to do when you just send anyone out there or you send subcontractors out there. So we got two. What's the third one? Third one is, last but not least, what else would you like to add? This question here gives them the ability, open the floor, tell me what's going on. You know, there's been people that 
and one of the questions to ask if there would be an issue with a background check. And, you know, and, and they'll elaborate on that experience and, you know, they'll say, hey, listen, you know, this is what happened. You know, please don't let this affect, you know, the outcome of, of whether or not you give me an opportunity. And they go into so detail. And, and I appreciate that. You know, I'm never opposed to giving someone an opportunity. And it really just gives them the floor to write something. And, you know, believe it or not, there's people that won't write anything. They'll just leave it blank because I, I make it optional. You know, everything else is required, the entire application. But that last thing, if you don't write anything and it's not important to you, hiring you isn't important to me. So that's Absolutely. the third yeah. So roughly, how does it break down for everybody that comes through and answers the questions? How many of them as a percentage, roughly, I know you probably don't have a hard number on this. How many of them get filtered out versus how many of them go on to the next step? Good question. So if you've ever done a Google form, you know that all the responses get saved. I've been doing this form now for three years. I have 122 applicants that have filled it out in those three years and I've hired seven from that specifically. Wow. And they all still work with me. Do you know how many you've at least gone to the next step of making a phone call to? Oh, okay. So yeah. So from there, you know, the thing about me is I don't hire when I need to hire. I hire way before I need to hire because I really want to make sure that I'm not hiring out of desperation and I'm not in a rush, you know? So for me, I'm looking at these as they come in, I check them, I look, and if someone sparks my attention, which if they pass these checkpoints of actually applying, you know, doing the instructions the right way, giving me a correct email to reach out to them, to schedule a time to talk for that phone interview. And they pass my social media check, which is the next phase of that's number three, just a quick social media check, you know, it's public information and it's accessible to everyone. I use that as well. I think every business owner should do the same just to, you know, further validate the good feeling you have about this applicant who you cannot even put a face to. In some cases, you can't really even find their information online. But if you do, you can validate or you can, you know, say, yeah, maybe it's not a good good selection there. So if I had to narrow it down, I'd say if they pass those three checkpoints, you know, they have a 50% probability of getting hired by me. There has to be something that goes pretty wrong in that phone interview, which in the case actually two weeks ago, it did. Gentleman was super honest with me saying that, you know, the the reason he got it wasn't working with his previous employer was because he was a no call, no show for a week. I appreciate the honesty, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's almost, I mean, I almost really appreciate that to the point of, yeah, maybe I'd give this guy a try. <laughs> I don't know anybody that has ever said that. I've, I've never heard an applicant say, yeah, I just no call, no show for a week. And they no, cut no, me. Yeah, I was a no, I was like, what, what happened? I mean, he said it was Thanksgiving and he, you know, he was drinking and had a rough week or he was honest, but at the end of the day. Yeah, you, you kind of have to look for somebody that isn't no calling, no showing for a week. Yeah, th- I'm thankful that he was honest. So from there, you know, we transitioned to the in-person interview where it's just a face-to-face asking questions, getting to know the person, were they on time, were they presentable, enthusiastic about the opportunity, that sort of thing then I never promise employment until we do a one-week working interview. That one-week working interview is going to be really just more or less validating their experience, just making sure that, you know, everything that they're telling me is correct and, you know, they mesh well with the crew. Because, again, you put five, four guys together, you know, you have to make sure that everyone is on the same page and, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's that's another thing I'm looking for is to make sure they'll get along with my, my crew. So one week working interview, and I, I guess you probably, you're well, you're obviously up front with them on that when you have your initial interview. Yep, 
absolutely say, hey, you know, I'm not guaranteeing you employment, but what I will do is give you an opportunity to work for a week with us at a discounted rate of pay. It will be paid, but it won't be what we're agreeing on if you do get hired, but we'll allow you to jump in with us to see if you're a good fit. And, you know, 100% of the time, you know, I've never let someone go after that, but it really just- I like that concept. Be the, the exit route if the, without having to like say, hey, you're fired and say- hey, Yeah, without having to make a hard- Out is hard. a little bit better, right? Absolutely. So let's circle back to the Facebook ads for hiring. Tell me more about that. How are you using them for hiring? Actually, it's not Facebook ads. It's actually the built-in hiring system through Facebook. So Facebook now has a hiring system. Absolutely. So if you have a Facebook business page, you can post a job and that job will allow you to acquire applicants. And Facebook also has the ability to do a built-in resume. So if someone's looking for a job, they can fill out a pre-written resume and send it the same way you would send an Indeed resume. So it's phenomenal. I did not know any of this stuff. So how do you find the Facebook, like make a job post? I'm on my business page right now. Should be on the left, the left side. I don't have that interface in front of me. Let me see if I can see it here on mine. Let's see if we can dig this up here real quick. Cause I didn't even realize that Facebook had that. I thought you were in some way running job ads or like making an ad to drive them to applying. And I'm looking at my page right now. Go to jobs, bottom left. So if you go to bottom left, it says jobs. So I, I go to my business page and then I go to the bottom left. Yep, on the sidebar right underneath your photo, it should say home services, reviews, and then if you go down to jobs, this is the public page. Huh, yeah, I actually don't have that here. So it must be some type of setting. Yep, it could. And what I'll do is just maybe, I don't know if you can, I'm going to send you a screenshot right here and you can pull this up for your, for everyone watching. Let me send this screenshot over to you. I think we can cool, do that. Yeah, we'll put that, we'll put a link to the screenshot and something else. I'll, I'll have to look into this. Yeah, man. Really, really cool. So we'll get that. I'll send that over to you. So talk me through it. You can post a job up there. You know, do they like, insert their answers in Facebook or do you send them to your form, which is like a third party, maybe not a third party, but maybe something built into your website or in Google form. You know, it's a third party from the platform that you post a job ad on and they answer the questions in there. Do they answer these questions right on Facebook or how does that work? Yeah, so there's two ways, but inside of my copy for the ad, I say, you know, part of going through this is following directions, fill out this form. And I want them to go to the form. Some people won't fill out the form. So that to me, even if you apply and you don't actually physically go to fill out my form, I won't even consider it, you know? So the inside the detailed instructions of the job application says, go to this form. And if they don't do it, then. And you put the URL to the form in there? Yep, that's correct. So go there and then they do it. And what's your form built on? Like, how are you making that happen? Google Forms, Google Forms, easiest form builder ever. And then it just comes through and sends you like an email when they apply? Yep. Yeah, whenever somebody fills out the form, you know, uh, they just send me an email and let me know someone filled it out. I like it. I like it. I think, and you probably know this, but one of the big secret sauces behind this is just the fact that you are constantly advertising for hiring. Yeah, yeah. So you're not in a position of desperation, which a lot of people find themselves in when they go to hire new employees. This analogy is something I use a lot. And it's the same thing, like, would, do, would you date out of desperation? You know, if you really <laughs> want to date somebody, would you date, would you just like, 
you know, just get on whatever app and just start. Well, that depends who you're asking. <laughs> I, I had to throw that back at you. <laughs> work, but it could work. But it's like I am, you know, dating for longevity. not my style. <laughs> for longevity is important, and it's like in the same way, I want an employee that's going to last a long time. I don't want you know to just rush through the process. You know, I, I put out a, a meme the other day that said something about you don't have. Uh, hiring process because you just say, hey, you know, why don't you just start Monday? We have a job Monday. Just jump in and join us without asking any questions, you know, and you don't know who you're getting. So, you know, we don't blind date when it comes to hiring. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm a little bit of a blind dater here because, you know, I have a podcast where I cover my process and I'm going to go through it just real quickly for those of you guys out there listening. Mine's a little bit different. And, you know, we, we basically run through, we get applicants, they come from Indeed, we don't do Craigslist, mostly Indeed, because I don't do Facebook either. We're going to check that. But we get our applicants, you know, we post this up, and we'll typically post it early in the morning, 6-7am. We want to get people that are up and looking for a job, you know, pretty early, like they're making it a priority. They're not just surfing around after work, you know, looking for a work, but they're going to spend their day looking for a job. So we post the ads early so that they first go up and we get the people that are up early looking for them. And then, you know, we get the resumes that come through. We'll do a brief skim and on Indeed, you can have questions. So we'll, you know, kind of filter through the questions and they're nothing like the three that Tanner just shared there. We're not really, you know, trying to assess much. We're just trying to make sure that they understand this is a construction, hands-on trades related job. And then we call them. And well, basically at this point, this is where we get into the blind dating. We say, hey, you know, are you available to come in for an interview this morning? So at this point, we're calling people by 9 a.m., right? Like we want to call them within minutes from the time that they apply. And then we have them come down to the office. We'll do a brief interview. And again, basically just recap everything that was on the phone and in the job ad. And we'll say, all right, you know, we'd like to, you know, run through a one week trial with you and, you know, see how you do. We can start you tomorrow. How does that sound? And X is what we pay. You know, we'll go from there. And then kind of at that point, at the end of the day, you know, end of day one, we pretty much know whether they're a fit or not. But at that, at that, on the first day, they're not going out and going to anybody's homes. They're staying strictly in our shop. And, you know, then we kind of run them, well, assuming they stay on, we run them through our training process. And it could be three to four months before that new employee ever actually leaves the shop and goes to see a customer. So, you know, Tanner dates and looks for marriage material. And I guess I'm more of the blind dater <laughs> when it comes to this. But one thing that we share in common is we're both consistently hiring. Yeah. I like your early approach. That's a, that's a good way to cherry pick the early risers and the go-getters. That's it. And one of the big things we look for that we've found that has been successful is we'll try to look for somebody that just recently relocated to the area. Those people that have just recently relocated to the area and they need work are typically the ones that we found the most success with. So they're up early. They know they need a job. You know, they're making it happen. And if they can come in and make that interview happen that day, it's very clear that, you know, they are ready to go. They're looking for something and it's further reinstilled if if they show up the next morning. And, you know, we get people that don't show up the next morning, but by and large, we haven't wasted any time on them at that point. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good process. Yeah. Ah, you have the incubator. <laughs> we have the incubator of aluminum post and beam contracting employees down here in Southwest Florida. So on that note, we got to start winding things down here. We're about out of time. Tanner, you know, you've came a long way in the four years you've been in business. No doubt. You've certainly got a very awesome, respectable business. That's why I invited you on the podcast. 
Where, where are you planning to be at in the next two years, man? Where are you seeing premium painting going in the future here? Really just refining the processes. You know, I've tossed the idea of a third crew. You know, I just, you know, for us, it's just maintaining, you know, growing slow. And if anyone's listening to this, that's, you know, maybe new into the trades, I found that growing slow is the best way to do it. Slow and consistent. Eventually, if things go the way they're going now, the only way, the only direction we can go is up. So on the ride, of going upward. It's just about refining processes, making sure that we're doing the little things. And that's really what I try to hammer on my team is the little things. Like we're expected to paint, you know, we're expected to do what we're expected to do. But I want I want to make sure that the hose is put back. I want to make sure that absolutely that, that you up. don't have a seven eleven big gulp cup sitting on the windowsill. Yeah. If I see a star <laughs> oh that will never happen. <laughs> Those damn big gulp cups have gotten me so many times. <laughs> yeah, like this just with the lid, the lid's never on it, you know, it's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I've had many phone calls. Your everything was good, but your guys left a big gulp cup right over there. And you're like, oh, really? Here we go again. You know, so. The best experience and, and a big gulp, 99 cent cup. I get it. But that's what I want to focus on. It's just getting so granular with our processes. Yeah. Awesome, man. Sounds good. Well, hey, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That's a wrap on this episode of the Contractor Momentum Podcast. If you got something helpful or useful out of this podcast episode, do me a favor here. Pick up your phone, open up the podcast app, whichever one you use, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and give us a review. I'd love hearing your feedback. And of course, if you have any questions for my guest or myself, head on over to the Contractor Momentum Lounge Facebook group and drop a new post.